Hello, hello, and welcome back to Move the Needle podcast. Greg, you before we started recording, you told me something hilarious, and I need you to repeat it. And you said that you're a crack addict, but it has nothing to do with drugs, but it's just, it's hilarious. And so I think we need to start right there. Yeah, so I am uh, deep into the weeds on chiropractic videos online. <laughs> so Now, is this online should... or is this just Instagram? No, no, online. And that's part You've... of the problem here. So, okay. so I don't go, I, I, I'm still not like really much of an online quote unquote person. In fact, I realized the other day when I got deep into the weeds on this YouTube thing, this was the first time I've watched maybe more than three videos at one time on YouTube. Oh, I, wow. I, I just never go on YouTube almost. I mean, very rarely do I go on YouTube. And if I watch a YouTube video, it's probably because it's embedded somewhere or shared somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not on youtube.com searching for things or watching videos. I just never do that. So, uh, however, I found myself uh, a couple days ago, like searching terms, looking for people. And this happened because I was watching this one guy on Instagram, this chiropractor on Instagram, and he was doing a chiropractic adjustment on this other guy who's a chiropractor um, and who also has a pretty big following, I guess, on Instagram. So they were talking about this third chiropractor who, 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 uh, who's on uh, Instagram as well. And he does this unique technique. And they were talking about how they don't do it, but this guy does. And I was like, oh, I got to learn about this unique technique. <laughs> so, so like I'm searching for this guy and I finally find him. And this guy is the greatest dude. He, he's in Houston. He's a chiropractor in Houston, been in Houston for, I don't know how long, a, a ton of years, right? He's an older guy, but he has just, you know, he has the Southern draw accent. He's just hysterical in his comments. I mean, it's just so funny. Anyway, he's the one that refers to crack addicts. He's like, Ooh, oh, yeah. he's like, every time he's adjusting somebody, he's like, the crack addicts are going to love you. <laughs> you know, it's just so funny. Like one time he like facetiously tells, uh, this guy to stop whining, uh, during treatment because the crack addicts won't be able to hear the cracks at home. <laughs> it's hysterical, dude. I mean, this guy is amazing. I... Okay, so yeah. what I think is hilarious about this is two things. Number one, did you get into watching these videos because you wanted to get into chiropractic stuff, or did you just stumble into them? Yeah, so it it was it was because I was thinking about going to a chiropractor, and my it's interesting to kind of observe your own behavior, you know. So my first instinct was to go to Instagram and kind of look up what chiropractors are doing and what people are saying about them and and stuff on Instagram. I don't know why, but so I was like, so I was using hashtags. I was using hashtag back pain or hashtag Cairo or, you know, and just like browsing around and like, you know, watching videos, listening, seeing what's going on. And then obviously like finding people with big followings seemed helpful because if they have a big following, then I need to get to the bottom of why, why do they have possibly have a big following? And is that useful? Now, of course that can, you know, that can be manufactured and fake. So you got to be careful of that. But, but, you know, I was exploring it from that perspective. So that's how it all started. And it was because I myself was thinking about going to see a chiropractor, but I was trying to figure out, have you seen nowadays where they have like, they have facilities and practitioners who are more or less stretching you out yeah, and, and not necessarily doing chiropractic work, but are kind of like stretching you and like, yep. it's not, it's like this weird place between physical therapy and 
just like going to the gym and working with a trainer. Like there's some in between space where, and I wanted to figure out like, is that a legitimate thing? Are there places that do that? Are there places near me that do that? Or so that's kind of how all this started. And I'm just at the early stages of exploring that. And then, you know, one thing led to another and now I'm deep. uh, (laughs) Now I'm a crack addict. (laughs) But you're, don't you, didn't you tell me you also are following like uh, chiropractic hashtags on Instagram? Yeah, I'm, I'm all in, man. This is hilarious to me. I am on Instagram all the time. I, I love Instagram. Like, it's probably the one form of social media that I actually spend time scrolling. Like, I don't really scroll. I don't look on Twitter very much. I'm just kind of there, casual conversations, posting things. Um, YouTube, I actually, I'm the opposite of you. So I watch YouTube every morning first thing. That's like what I watch with my super indulgent coffee that we've talked about on here yeah, yeah, and with yeah. my breakfast. So it's like, for me, you know, two to three videos as much as I want to consume first thing in the morning. But I want to do that before I check email, like any of the reactive stuff, you know, like I like to have mm-hmm. um, just kind of some nice things to, to watch or to listen to. And it, but what's funny is it, as far like further that I am on these other platforms with Instagram, I've never followed a hashtag ever. Like, I don't know why <laughs> I, I just, maybe I missed the boat when it like became a thing that you could do. And then you just start doing, you realize the the value of it. I was like, I just like the accounts that I follow and I only follow like a hundred and some people. So it's, I don't have that many people that I follow, but um, you, you telling me this and that you going to search Instagram first is such an enigma for you and the way that you use the internet. And it's just, I find it hilarious on so yeah. many uh, fronts. Also, I wanted to mention, so I did active release therapy, which which I believe is the in-between between chiropractic adjustments and just regular physical therapy where like you're doing all the work. Like this was me laying on a table and a very nice man pulling and contorting my body yes. in different ways. But then also like his, like his thumb was the most painful thing that right. he could use on me because he would just dig into like my calves. Right. And this was after I had two ACL surgeries. Um, but yeah, it, it I will tell you that it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life was active release therapy. Never, nothing else has been as painful. Um, I don't know that it was helpful to be honest, Okay, but I also don't know, but I also don't know that it wasn't helpful. So that's the tricky thing with some of this stuff where this is the thing that I've always looked at with chiropractic, uh, kind of like the idea of it is the only stuff I've consistently heard from people is yes, it helped. But then I felt like I always had to keep going for it to continue to be helpful. Right. And I'm like, hmm, so I don't really know that that thing is actually helping or if it's just creating kind of like a causation and then you feel like you have to keep doing that to get whatever that is. Okay, so I have a counter argument to that, though I I probably agree with you. So I did chiropractic, uh, like saw a regular routine chiropractor when I was much younger because I've had back problems my whole life. And, uh, I would go, I remember like, you know, when I was like 13, 15, I would go to the chiropractor on a regular basis. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt like when I went, I got relief, but when I didn't go, I was still having problems and I would always have to go back and it's expensive. So, you know, back when I'm 13, 15, my mom can't really afford to pay to have me go. And so, you know, I just dropped out. Right. So I agree with you from that perspective. I just want to, I just want to interrupt. Now you have ornament money, so you can go whenever you want. That's right. I can do whatever I want now. Okay. (laughs) 
So, but the thing is, is like, I started thinking about that and I was thinking like, well, what's the difference, right? So that's like saying, you know, well, I should be able to go to the gym for a certain period of time and then never have to go back to the gym ever again Mm -hmm. for the rest of my Mm -hmm. life. Like, so, or like, you know, I should be able to eat for three years. And then when I'm done eating for three (laughs) years, I should never have to be able to eat ever again to sustain myself. Like, I just think that argument is a poor argument. Um, I, I, I understand why people say something like that. Like if you have an injury and you're trying to get treated for an injury and the injury isn't getting better from the treatment, well, then, yeah, that seems like that treatment isn't working. But if you're getting certain relief on a regular basis and it's realigning you, but then you're going off and doing things that are going to take you out of alignment, it would seem to me you would have to go back again and put yourself back in alignment. So I'm not sold on that argument as a reason why not to have uh, either active release therapy or chiropractic work or something like that. But I'm also not doing it right now. So I don't want to judge it one way or the other. I just want to explore why are people doing this? Why is it becoming a, a, you know, thing that people are, are exploring? And is there any value potentially to me in particular, because you and I have talked about, I actually do have an injury, a hip injury that I think is, a problem for me that I need to have looked at. And of course, I don't want to go the traditional doctor route and them being mm-hmm. like, well, what you need to do yeah. is have take these pain pills, yeah. uh, go get this surgery, go get, you know. So I'm exploring, are there some other things? But in that exploration, of course, it's turned into a complete, uh, you know. <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, rabbit hole of just video after video. And I've got to tell you, this chiropractor in Houston is, he's got this thing called the ring dinger. <laughs> Dude, this Stop is it. like the great, dude, I mean, you what gotta, is his, hold on, hold on. What is his at handle on Instagram? I, Do you know it? I, you know, I don't, you know, I have no idea what his at handle is. Cause I, I just don't even, oh man, I need to, I've, I don't even I know. I, I have not seen him on Instagram. I've, I've only watched his YouTube videos. I'm literally searching right now. Okay. All right. I'm going to see if I can find him after do, this. Do, do ring dinger. Like if you just type in <laughs> two separate words, I think it is ring dinger in uh, YouTube. In I'm YouTube. certain you're going to get this guy because like uh, the other thing that I learned is YouTube comments are amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. And amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, and I've always heard YouTube comments, like never read YouTube comments. It's always just people bashing the person, blah, blah, blah. No, no. I've reading YouTube comments. They're hysterical. They're funny. They're engaging. Like, I want to know who these people are. I want to meet them. It, like, I, I didn't find very many negative things at all, actually. Yeah. I found a lot of positive, fun, funny things. And anyway, this guy in Houston is hysterical, dude. You got to watch some of his videos. He's got the ring dinger, which looks like he's basically breaking your neck. Yeah, yeah. He, he take, puts this towel around your neck, and then he pulls on it. Yep. But he puts you in this device first to do it. And it, yep. I mean, it's like, it'll give you some anxiety. I'm seeing the thumbnails uh, of here. And so his name is Dr. Gregory Johnson, just yeah, so everyone yeah, knows. Yeah, Dr. Johnson. It, yeah, yeah. Advanced chiropractic yes. release, and also Ring Dinger is registered. There's a oh, registered yeah. mark. That's a trademark. Yeah, that's a trademark. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna go down the rabbit hole. This also, he has 309,000 subscribers. Oh, so dude, you are not guy, alone in being a crack dude, addict. Other chiropractors send their patients <laughs> to this guy. So um, like some of the patients oh. that show up and he's got like world famous athletes that he sees, yeah. like veterans, like people from all over the country go to him in Houston. Okay, very quick. I, I have a counter argument to your counter argument. Oh, sure. Go for it. So what what I said was, I feel like chiropractic, you know, this type of thing, you should go, you shouldn't have to keep doing it. You said, um, you know, going to the gym, like you can't just go and stop going. That's a great argument. Totally agree with you. However, 
my thinking about chiro- chiropractic work is I have a problem and I need someone to fix that problem, right? So for me, I liken that to surgery. So like when I tore my ACL, I don't have to go back and get my ACL, like have a surgery again. I only need it once and then it's fixed and then it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, so that's, that's kind of the way that I think about chiropractic care. So maybe I just have thought about it wrong. I think where so. It's not, it's not necessarily a fix as much as it is more of a physical therapy. Right. But here's the problem. The way that chiropractors, at least that I've always seen them pitch things is they use the word fix. So I, I liken that to, well, surgery is actually what fixes things when things are really actually broken and, you right. know, misaligned and, and torn or whatever. You're not actually fixing things. You're mending your like, you know, kind of just like uh, giving some therapy to something that's wrong. So I don't know, like maybe it's just a, a yeah. general misconception. And I think a lot of chiropractors would probably say that just because I actually know someone who is a chiropractor by trade and he talks a lot about the misconception of what people think of it. Yep. Um, but I, yeah, it is really interesting just like the ways that it can be misconstrued and thought about. I think that's the key to the whole thing is that I think yeah. that I, I don't think that they've done a good job teaching the public and educating the public on their value and their value proposition. And I think there's a lot of bad chiropractors, like a lot of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of people who are not very good at it, not very good at explaining it, not very good at doing it, that are ruining the uh, the perception in the industry. And that's kind of what I'm learning. And that's why I've gone down this rabbit hole. Like I want to, you know, you know me, like I'm always about seeing the world through my own lens as much as possible, right? Like yep. strip away the conditioning I have, you know, don't like, you know, when, when Katrina happened, I went to New Orleans, when the Gulf, when the Gulf oil spill happened, I went down to the Southern border of Louisiana and went to uh, Texas. When 9-11 happened, I went to New York city. When like, I go there, when Ferguson happened, I I went to St. Louis and Ferguson. Like, I want to see with my own eyes, what is happening here? What does this really mean? I want to form my own opinion about it. And it's the same thing with chiropractic because that's kind of, you know, like when I was younger, people would tell me, ah, you're wasting your time. Stop going. It's expensive. Uh, It's not going to solve your problem. And then it kind of didn't, you know, like it was like, Mm. so I just kind of developed this opinion about it. And then that was my opinion for the next 30 years. And now I'm saying, no, I'm going to explore this. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. I'm going to talk. The other thing that I've learned through my, my kidney issues is, not all doctors are created equal. Totally. They're, and this is a big problem. Like there's two areas I think you have to find the best in the world and that's healthcare and financial advice. Like yeah. those two things, it, you can't just go to anyone or to your local person. You have to find the world's best in both of those things. And I'm learning that, you know, in talking to kidney transplant surgeons, uh, now, uh, you know, I'm engaged at the Mayo Clinic and like the level of people at the Mayo Clinic is just astounding compared to your local hospital. It's just not even in the same ballpark. And I've just learned that now where I want to seek out the best in the world. It's like this guy, like I might not go get chiropractic care from my neighborhood chiropractor, but I might fly to Houston to see this guy. Like, you know, that's, that's what I'm learning. The Move the Needle audience and myself, we need a ring dinger. <laughs> like, I need you to record the audio while you're there yeah, with your yeah, phone. Yeah. And we just need to, like, just, I just have to have this happen to you. Oh, my God. Uh, but I do think that's a really interesting thing that you bring up that is such a quality that I don't think 
I mean, it just is not normal in most people. And I don't have that quality. This is actually one of the areas where we're different is you are so much about forming your own opinion based on your own experience, especially I think of like big topics, world events, mm-hmm. like, and I guess I should say like U.S. events because world events would mean that you're traveling the world to every thing and that's not happening. Um, probably just because logistically it's very difficult to do that. Right. But I do think that there's something really interesting about that where so many of us, and this, this I think relates to business too, where it's like you just take the advice that you're given or you take the stories that you're told or you take the examples, roadmaps, blueprints, all these things and like, this is how you should do it. And it's not necessarily right. And it's not... You know, it's just like the the picking the right doctor thing. Just because that person's a doctor at a hospital doesn't necessarily mean they're great. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It just may mean that they're just not amazing at what they do and that there's someone better uh, and there are better ways to do things. And I do think that 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 is a quality that all of us could always get better at, which is trying to search out and not take things at face value or easy face value, I should say, which is like, oh, well, here's my local chiropractor. I've heard this is really good. I've seen some YouTube videos. I'm just going to go local and I'll, you know, see how it goes. And then you have a bad experience. You're like, oh, well, all chiropractors are terrible. That's it's like, right. no, just just that one isn't good compared to everything else that you've seen. So I think it's too easy to form that opinion. And it's also just, you know, like you're an individual and the world is made up of individuals as much as we yeah. want to put everything in buckets. And I think that matters a lot. And I've just learned that, you know, somebody like me that didn't come from kind of the high end levels of the world, you know, where I wasn't around the world's best at much of anything. I I just, it took a long time for me to kind of hone in on that fact that, that it's, it's very possible that what I'm measuring or judging here is not accurate because I haven't talked to the experts of the world about this or haven't seen them. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I'm going to make a note here because we need to get an update on this in the future. If you end up, number one, going to Houston, that'd be amazing just because that would just be (laughs) hilarious. But even if you end up doing it, um, it'll be really interesting to hear if it actually fixes it. And I know that you're dealing with like some hip issues and back issues Mm -hmm. and things. And, um, you know, and some of that is just kind of like, you know, you have some real... Well, it's age, but it's also you have some really different stuff going on in your body that most people don't, you know, where you have a kidney next to your your abdomen, you said, right? And Yeah, my right abdomen. And it's not where it's naturally supposed to be. And so the human body has evolved to be a certain way. And when you move something around, even as something, quote unquote, as small as that inside, I mean, it probably throws everything off. And, and I was even telling you, so I tore my right ACL in 2007 and when I when I didn't know anything about ACL tears, I mean, I played basketball, so I knew of them, but I didn't know like, you know, what is the medical thing that's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I remember asking the doctor, what is the likelihood that I will re-tear this? And he said, well, actually, the likelihood is 10% higher that you'll re-tear the, you'll, that you'll tear the other leg mm. because when you're rehabbing something that is injured or like one side dominant, the other side starts to weaken, even though it's becoming stronger, but like the weak points of it become even weaker. So your ligaments, your ankles, especially in your legs and your hips. And and I remember like having some hip pain when I was going through rehab, but then a year, almost to the day, I tore my left ACL after tearing my right. Wow. And it just, uh, you know, and I also was really aggressive on my rehab because I was 20 
four at the time or whatever this was, like, you know, I thought it was invincible. So I was like, okay, this test of my invincibility, well, now I'm going to get back faster than anybody ever has. And guess what happens? Mm. I tried too hard. I pushed it too hard and I ended up tearing the other one. But um, yeah, it is just the the human body is so interesting. And I think you're right. Like with that stuff, um, you know, you have to find the best that you can. Obviously there's, there's some limitations for everybody and what they can afford, but it's the same again. Like I always have some type of business thing that I come to just because I think it's the experience that I have you know, the most uh, touch points in. Mm-hmm. It's like if you hire a bad developer, like if you hire a bad developer or a bad designer from the start of a project, it's only going to become more expensive in the long run to deal with all of the issues right. instead of if you just would have hired a really good one from the beginning. Right. And it's like, just pay a little bit more in the beginning and do a little bit more research in the beginning and, you know, do what you can in your own circumstances. Obviously, like some people have different circumstances than others. Uh, and we try and point that out as much as we can in the show because we realize that, you know, we're both coming from different places of privilege that people don't have. Um, but we've also not had those privileges our entire lives. So it sure. is interesting to think about that. Okay. Um I, I want an update on this. So we have to, I'm putting a pin in this to come back to at some point when you have an update. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to tell you about this idea that Caroline and I are cooking up for Wandering Aimfully because um, I don't really have any other updates. I have kind of a minor update on the Make 500 project that I told you about. Yeah. And so just as a reminder, that project is, it basically the idea is it's a, a way to qualify people who come to the Wandering Aimfully website and say, hey, you're trying to reach this specific outcome, which is to launch a, an online course, but can we help you do that in a shortened time frame with just a, a small outcome, but to actually have an outcome and not just be the person who continues to want to do this or buy other courses about it or read all the blog posts, but like actually put your idea to the test. And so we had 20 people go through this beta group and the idea was it's seven days, seven lessons. It should take you less than an hour per lesson total. Some lessons will be longer than others, but really it should it should only take about seven to 10 total hours at most. And oh man, it's so interesting. So this isn't actually the thing I want to update you on. I just wanted to give you a little heads up on this. It's so hard to get people to stick to stuff. Yep. And this is like the recurring thing that Caroline like just reminds me of all the time. She's like, you cannot force people to do the work. You can't force people to take action. And it frustrates me to no end because I know that the natural human tendency is you get really excited about something that seems to be something you're interested in. So like we have these 20 people who raise their hand and they want to do this specific thing. They want to start a small online course. They've been thinking about it for a while. We even had some criteria, like you need to have a certain amount of email subscribers. Thing was like 300. Um, you have to know your your course idea. You can't just come to this and go, well, I'm thinking I'm going to figure out. No, like you have to know you want to create a course about like how to make the perfect souffle or whatever. That's not even one that people are doing. I just made that up because it sounds fun. <laughs> but we, you know, of these 19 people, it's now been over two weeks. So I tried to get this out before July 4th because this was when we were recording this. And I knew that as soon as we got near that point, people would just fall off the map. Because even if they're not in the in the U.S., and I think we have a couple people that aren't in the U.S. who are in this group, it's just the natural, like, summertime. You know, you're, you're doing things like middle of the summer. You're not checking and doing work stuff. We had one person complete the goal of getting it done mm. in seven days. Mm. One out of 20. And these were people that like, they emailed in, they're like, I'm in, I'm committed, I'm going to do this, you know, like I'm excited. And it's just so hard to watch people not show up for themselves. And I think that's the thing that really is so difficult for me to watch with this stuff. Um, and again, this isn't even the fun thing that I want to talk about. I just wanted to kind of update you on this, is that 
I, and I know that I can't solve for this problem, right? Because this is what like personal trainers, gyms, like this is a problem that they've tried to solve for so long that people just can't get them their health in order. Like they just can't figure out how to like make a consistent habit to be healthy people. And no matter the amount of styles of gym, whether it's CrossFit or 24 hour fitness or, you know, the super obscure things or, you know, any of those things, you can't force someone to get in there consistently and, you know, actually like have a good healthy habit of life and, um, and, and diet. Yep. But Man, it's so tough to to watch. Like yeah. these twenty people are so excited, and then I've just been checking in on them. Like we have daily emails that go out to them. I've been sending uh, an email like every two to three days, just me emailing them directly, going like, "Hey, how's it going? Do you need help with anything? Can I, you know, anything just to make this easier for you?" And half the people are just ghosting, like they're just not even replying because they're probably ashamed of the fact they're not doing yet another thing. Mm-hmm. And then you know, another half of them are replying and saying like, "Oh, you know, my kid got sick," or you know, and it's like it is real world problems that they're dealing with. But here's the thing: there's always going to be a, yep. a thing. There's always going to be a hurdle or a stumbling block or something. And if you don't force yourself to carve out the time, you're never going to get the result that you want. And it's just so frustrating to me because I just I so badly want people to get out of their own way. And it just continues to be a thing that I have to battle for myself of like, okay, well, just can't force them to get out of their own way. So it is what it is. How long have you been working with people um, in in some similar capacity to this now where you're trying to help people get somewhere, like directly help them? Six years, six years. Yeah. So I'm wondering how long it's going to take before you get, (laughs) before you stop getting frustrated. I really am. And the reason is I, 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 Caroline, go ahead. Yeah. If Caroline were here, she would agree with you so hard. Like she would just be like, Greg, I've been saying this for six years, but here's the thing. It's like the, I, I just, I don't know, man. It, It is where I do have faith in human, like my fellow humans of like, I know you can do this. Like anyone can do this. I'm not special. I did this. And I know that we've kind of had conversations about this before. And I think we'll have a longer one about it at some point, but it's like, just sit down and do the thing. Like I've literally laid it out for you. Just do this exactly. And it will work. And people can't even do it. No. And I, I, and and this this has kind of been uh, the crux of my career actually uh, because the majority of the work I do is helping other people achieve their dreams and that's basically been the way I've worked in some capacity for 19 years now I think this is year 20 actually this month so um, I get it and I also understand that uh, no matter what you do, no matter what you try, no matter how hard you try, and this has always been my thing. So one of the main reasons why I've never written a book, never created a course, never done anything like that is because I know I will benefit. Mm-hmm. I know without a doubt, I will become more popular. I will become more rich. I will become, you know, it'll feel better. I'll, I'll have, I'll be more happy by doing it. And I know only a very, 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 very tiny fraction of people that uh, get my material in their hands will ever do anything with it. And it just, it just drives me crazy. Yeah. And it always has. But I finally, you know, have gotten over that. I think when I did the ten dollars in a laptop project, I finally reach some place where it like hit me in the face of like, Greg, that just cannot be your issue. And you have to let that go. Um, But I'll tell you, you know, I have a good friend named Diane Kennedy. She's an accountant. 
Um, and she's built this huge accounting platform and and franchise for herself, which is uh, amazing. And she used to be the accountant actually for Robert Kiyosaki. I just had to get his name into the podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, oh man, that is that is the uh, yeah. the move the needle podcast bingo. Yeah, everybody, right there. congratulations. Guys, take a drink. <laughs> take a drink. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she did this program called Maui Mastermind with this other other guy named David Finkel, um, and it was a thirty thousand dollar mastermind in Hawaii. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm close, I wouldn't call close. I'm, I'm good friends, uh, with both of them. And, you know, I was part of that group and, um, you know, met a lot of really great people through that mastermind and so forth. But what's interesting is, is I remember her giving that talk, you know, somebody asked her, why do you charge $30,000 for this? And she said, because these are a players Yeah. because anyone that's going to pay $30,000 to attend this isn't fucking around. Yeah. They're just not fucking around. Yeah. And she said, I spent my early part of my career trying to help people that don't want help yeah. and that will never get out of their own way. But when I work with this group, we will say we're going to do something. And by dinner, we will have already started it. Yeah. And that's the difference. And unfortunately, that's just kind of how the world works. And, you know, it, it's a hard thing to accept because you really want to, you know, as you put it, you, you want to see people get out of their own way. And you and 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 you know that these people can actually do these things, um, and it's and it's just sad and unfortunate, but it is kind of how the world works. And I think that you know you obviously have to figure out how to stay motivated, helping people, and not get too discouraged, but also know that yeah, you can you know lead the horse to water. You can't they they're going to have to drink it. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that that is just like. I don't know how long it's going to take for me to learn that lesson, but I think the only way that I will eventually learn it is to just keep doing it. Like, it's like, I have to keep banging my head against the wall until one point the wall cracks and I go, Oh, hold on. Like, I think I, I got a little breakthrough here, you know, like I'm bleeding profusely, but the, the crack in the wall, uh, it'll be interesting. Okay. So let me tell you about this idea that Caroline and I cooked up. Um, so Caroline's feeling amazingly better. Um, for those of you who don't know, maybe didn't listen to any of the other episodes very quickly. My wife, Caroline has been dealing with literally crippling anxiety for the better of 2019. And this started with just her feeling super overwhelmed and, you know, just like the normal anxiety feelings, but then it became, could not get out of bed anxiety, like dizzy, a uh, little bit of depression. I mean, it just was crazy. So Super long story short, because we've actually talked about this on our own Wandering Aimfully podcast a couple times about our, her dealings with anxiety, and you can listen to those episodes if you want more. But she's feeling better, and this is amazing for us because it's been like you know a man down for our two person business, and right. so I've been kind of towing the line and doing what I can. But she is really like you know fifty fifty of the creative engine of everything that we do, and and maybe even a little bit more because she actually does most of the creative work. She does the design, you know. She goes all the way in creating the sites and the things that we do. So to have her back and able to work is amazing. But she also has this like spark again, where she's like, she came to me one day and she's like, I think I want to design websites again. And she's so she started in two thousand fourteen doing some client uh, web design work and um, branding design work. And she really stopped doing client work because it, it actually flared up her anxiety then. And that was kind of the first time she ever really saw that, you know, that was a thing. And we just realized like, hey, this isn't good for you. Like you can't, you don't deal well with the expectations of other people. And I think through years of therapy, she's actually figured out how to, and I mean that like genuinely, she's actually figured out that that's a thing that really triggers her. So she can't hmm. do that. Interesting. So anyway, she she was like, I, I think I want to do design and we very quietly sent out a couple of emails to different Wandering Infly members, to some of her uh, customers of a course that she has for branding called Better Branding Course. And no one really 
bit on this idea. We wanted to just do like a seven day design, like super fast. You already have a site. You just need it updated. Like, let's just see if we can make this really simple. And I just don't think it was a good fit for, for anybody. Like you would have to be such a weird edge case for it to work, which was fine because we were just kind of testing the waters as we do with a lot of things. And so we, we sat down and we were like, well, what if we made this interesting? And what if we designed a, a brand completely from scratch? So literally did everything from just discovering like the color palette, the mood board, the tone words. And if you don't know branding, these things may not make sense to you, but for a lot of people they do. And then ending up with like a logo, fonts, brand elements, and then go one step further and build a full Squarespace site with like six of the main pages, like home, about, services, contact, your blog, fully built out. So it's literally a turnkey brand and website. And all you would need to do is if you're an existing business and maybe you wanted to rebrand, you just slot your name into the, the font and the logo. Or if you're creating a new business and you've been looking for like, you know, some type of like template or something, but none of them really feel unique, you have this opportunity to like have this full-fledged thing that you could just buy and you'll be the only one that has it. Mm-hmm. So what we're calling this is um, build a Squarespace site from start to finish. And actually, by the time this episode goes up, it will already have been done. But what we're doing is for three weeks, we're recording Caroline's screen. She's going through and like all of her processes she's sharing. We're doing little recap videos of like, okay, well, you know, what did you do? Why did you do this? And at the end of it, we're going to do a silent auction um, right in this post. So we're doing this one post that kind of collects all these videos, all of like why we made all these decisions, what it looks like, what the end result is of the brand and the website. And instead of basically finding a client who could pay us X amount of money to do this work, Caroline can knock this work out in one week. She's loving the process. It's like springing her out of bed in the morning to go work on it, which is amazing. Like that's the work you want to be doing. And we're really hopeful that selling this in a unique way, not just going like, hey, here's a template you can buy. It's like only one person can own this full brand, full site and use it. And we're doing a silent auction for seven days. And so that'll actually, when we're recording this, that'll happen in a couple of weeks. But it's just really fun. Like we're both excited. And then, so this is why I love projects like this for us. It checks three boxes for us. Number one is it's marketing for Wandering Aimfully. So we send these posts out in our emails. We post it on social media. People come to the site. They see this. They read through it. If they like it, they check out other stuff. Maybe they sign up for our emails to learn more about it. That's that's a marketing tactic, right? The second is it's the design part. So we both love doing design. We both love creating things. So immediately checks that box. And the third, and this is the one we don't know, there's a lot of unknowns here is hopefully it makes money. Mm -hmm. So hopefully this site makes, you know, we, we have a low goal of $500, which is unbelievably low for the amount of like quality of work that someone's going to get from this. But we love to set low and high goals. It's like one of the things that we force ourselves to do with every project. The high goal I really don't know. I mean, to be honest, maybe 2500 bucks would be a high goal for this because it isn't a super customized thing to someone specifically. Like you really have to kind of fit and want this thing, but it is a fully built website, fully built brand. So I kind of feel like that 500, 2500 range is a good uh, fit for it. And so we'll have the silent auction up for a week once we're done. And then we're going to kind of see, okay, what happened? You know, like, how did this go? Did people like it? What did people say? How much traction did it give for us from like an email growth standpoint? How much money did it make for the time that we invested in it? Is it something we could do over and over again on, you know, on a a pace that matters Um, and just kind of reflect on it. So uh, my acronym for this is BASTF. 
Uh, it's a lot of S's <laughs> in the middle with an F on the end. But I love just like these silly, like, you know, Wayne, yeah, Wandering right. Aimfully is Wayne. So I always come up with these things. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been super fun so far. We're really excited about it. Yeah. So I've got several questions. But first, what's your Google acronym? Uh, the, the one where you guys do it on the Wayne podcast, the Google this for you. Oh, we Googled that for you. We're good to feed. Yeah. We're good to be. Yeah. 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 You're, you know, I love you guys so, are yeah. the best at acronyms. Oh yeah. It, it's, and it's, it's me and it sometimes drives Caroline nuts. Like when you, if you go and you find this post, so when this is up, the post will be at wanderingaimfully.com slash Squarespace. And you'll see that BASFA is everywhere, but I also say it in the videos constantly just because I like it. Like it, it's a form of branding even for me and it's fun and it's interesting. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. no, that's funny. So, so a few questions. I, the first question I have for you is how do you guys, if you have a process for this or if you even think about it, I don't know, but how do you guys decide what to work on and what not to work on? Because both of you, you know, from my experience, you guys have endless ideas. And I think that is a, you know, uh, you have riches of ideas where most of us are like, I can't think of anything. Right. And so, but, but ideas are just ideas until you decide to actually move forward and do them. And when you guys do them, you do them at such a high quality, they're going to require a tremendous amount of effort and energy and resources for you to do. And in this case, you know, whether it takes a week or not, that's going to be a full fledged week of working uh, that's got to take you away from other things, I imagine. So it does it. And how do you decide, yes, this is worth doing or no, this isn't, especially at such a unique idea that no one else really has any data to tell you if it's going to work or not. And you don't have data to tell you if it's going to work or not. And it could end up being a complete waste of time. Like how do you decide to move forward or not? Yeah. So we've learned over the years, and I, I think this is something that's really unique to especially people, whether you're a couple or a partnership or co-founders or whatever, when you work really closely together and you you almost are of the same mind in a lot of ways. And that comes with time because in the beginning, we very much were not like that. Like we butted heads on a lot of things, but we're so closely connected on things that like we can tell when we bring an idea to each other, we can be excited about it. Even both of us are excited about it, but you, we can't really see how it happens and that it checks enough boxes for it to be worth the time spent. So we've had many ideas over the years where, you know, there's just things that we've wanted to do, but it just hasn't checked enough boxes. Like, I actually think you'll appreciate this one. I don't think I told you about this. I did actually tweet. This is one of the times I tweeted an idea that I didn't do, which sounds kind of douchey to say, but I promise I don't mean it that way. Um, So you remember the Hulu has live sports ads that went this last uh, NBA season? Yes. So these ads were hilarious to me because it's just NBA players saying, Hulu, you know, Hulu has live sports and they're getting paid for it. So I bought the domain, does Hulu have live sports? And I wanted to do a full campaign that's like, hey, I'm a normal NBA fan. Does Hulu have live sports? I don't know. Will you pay me to say that Hulu has live sports? And so I literally wanted to recreate like some of the commercials that they did, like go to a tattoo shop where Dame Lillard went, have like the little office meeting where Giannis went, like literally create these things. And just ask the question and then see if Hulu would pay me. Because my assumption was if Hulu paid a nobody, a veritable nobody, like I do have some social media following more than most people, but if they paid me, and let's just call it $100,000, like this is just super random, but they paid me $100,000. Do you know how many news outlets would write about that story? Mm -hmm. And that campaign would be so talked about as opposed to I could barely find anyone talking about it when I searched does Hulu have live sports? Like no one, like I think ad age wrote an article about it and that was it. Mm -hmm. And so like the, the actual value of that campaign was 
I mean, almost worthless to Hulu from a standpoint of getting media and press for it. But yet I had the idea that I really like, even if they paid me $20,000, like it just would have gotten so much more press. So that idea is one where the example was like, there's too much we have to do for this for a potential of, you know, almost no return. Like Hulu could just ignore me and it wouldn't do anything. But also like, it's a very self-serving idea. Like as fun as it is, it doesn't really do anything for anybody else. Like it's very much just like, hey, I came up with this weird idea. Like, let's see if I can get paid for it. Kind of like selling my last name. And I, d- I don't like doing a lot of those because it does feel too, like, it's just like no one can do that. You, you feel really alienated by it. I don't know. There's some weird things. Anyway, that's a very long-winded example of we have ideas like that all the time, but we don't chase them because they just don't feel right enough. And I think we all know, you know, your gut can really tell you when something doesn't feel right enough, as opposed to BASFA, where we start talking about this and we really boil it down and go, okay, how much work is this? Okay, it's probably only one week of work, you know, maybe less, but we are documenting it. So that adds like double the work, but we like doing it. So that's the other thing is we start to look at what's every part of this and do we like every part of it? And I think what it boils down to for us is we like the building of it. We like the creating of it. We like the sharing of it. The selling would probably be the thing that we like the least. However, By doing it in a silent auction, that actually makes it fun because it's not just throwing an arbitrary price tag on something and crossing our fingers and hoping that someone's willing to pay that. It creates some allure. It creates some interest for us to really go, okay, let's check every type form submission that comes in. What are people willing to pay? You know, oh, there's, there's, you know, 24 hours left in the silent auction. You know, what, what's the highest price that it, that it's going to be? Okay. This is cool. Like it makes us feel really interested. So there's a lot of things that we kind of weigh in that, that topic. And I hope my (laughs) Hulu example didn't completely derail, but I wanted to give like a we have lots of ideas, but you know that's one reason why we don't follow some of them. Yeah, so it does sound like it's more intuition than it is a you know practical process. Would you agree? Totally. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and I think it's our I think it's our combined intuition too, right? Because I was really excited about the Hulu does Hulu have live sports thing, but then Caroline would kind of talk me down and be like, "Yeah, but like, what if it doesn't do anything?" Right? You know, and and that's actually where I think a lot of times we try and prepare for success with an idea is to do stuff where we can hedge our bets a little bit where it's not totally reliant. Like that one's 100% reliant on Hulu saying yes to us in some way, as opposed to like when I sold my last name, I had uh, you know hundreds of sponsors that I had worked with at the time. I knew one of them would, would buy into this for a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks. So like I hedged my bets a little bit on that because I had some control over the outcome of the idea. Yeah, and it also sounds like you're not just hedging your bet. You you have multiple benefits. So exactly. it sounds like it has to have multiple benefits as well. So if it doesn't work out financially, it may have worked out in terms of attention. Totally. Or if it doesn't work out in terms of attention, it may work out <clears throat> where you get more people on your email list. Or if it doesn't work out, like there's, exactly. there's always backup benefits that you go, well, even if this part doesn't work out, this part likely will. And that moves us one step closer to our ultimate goal. Um, it's kind of how I'm seeing it, at least from my perspective. Totally. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like, I think if, if there was any process to these ideas, it does have to check more than one box. So even with my last name example, it was never just about the money. Like me selling my last name, it was actually about the story of me trying to find my identity through basically like living my life on the internet and and having you know multiple fathers and never having an identity that most people have through their last name and i know that you can actually kind of relate to this where some people can't where it's like you know i just like my last name it really doesn't hold 
much meaning to me. And because I'd had three my entire life, like none of them held any meaning. So I just wanted to see like, could doing something that I'd already been doing kind of find that. And, and so, yeah, I do think that those, even those three specific things for us are the things that come back a lot, which is the marketing side of it. So like, you know, growing our audience or just getting some attention for the other things we're doing, you know, creativity, design, coming up with something that's unique or different, um, and then generating revenue in a different way or a unique way. And, and just kind of having you tilt your head when you go, oh, a silent auction. I, I didn't expect that. Like that, that's not how people sell brands and websites. Um, that is kind of unique or that is kind of different. And then do you find that uh, with the two of you, so, so the other thing that's intriguing about this to me is you guys have the skills to actually do this. So do you, when you're assessing an idea, are you assessing how far can we get by ourselves or how much is this going to cost? Not just in terms of time, but in actual money. So I think that, that, you know, something that holds a lot of people back is the, the flip side is so, so a lot of people just don't come up with creative ideas, right? They don't feel like they can, although we've talked about this before, where I think people are a lot more creative than they give themselves credit for. Um, and that stymies their creativity. So that's one angle. The other angle is I come up with a lot of ideas. I can't personally execute them, mm-hmm. right? So then you have the person that's like in that mode where when they hear you talk or you and Caroline talk, sometimes I think people think, because I know I think this, we're like, well, shit, that sounds great, except I can't do mm-hmm. you know, even a third of that by myself. So do your ideas tend to hinge on what you guys have the skill and capability at or how do you assess it from that standpoint? Yeah, and and it does... It really does boil down to how badly do we want the idea because we do have our own limitations. It's like, it's like, you know, different levels of basketball skill, right? Like I have more basketball skill than say a middle school player, but an NBA player has a million times more basketball skill than I do. Right. But Mm -hmm. there are people who might look up to my level of basketball skill and go, I just wish I had that, you know, but I look up to then like NBA players. I'm like, well, I wish I had that. And it's the same thing with the work output stuff. So, you know, we can create brands and websites specifically like Squarespace sites and things like that in almost no time because of Caroline's skill level. And, and so I'm there almost as like project manager. I call myself assistant creative director because I'm not like obviously the creative director, that's Caroline. But I'm there to be like, oh, what about this? Or what about this? Or, you know, kind of tweaking and changing some certain things. And then kind of architecting the idea in general of like how it's going to work. But we have ideas all the time of little software products or little tools. And, and we call them tools, but it's like things that do something for you. Um, so, you know, the, the, about two years ago, I had this idea for this product called Spruce Metrics. And the entire idea was, I, you know, my buddy Matt had this spreadsheet where it crunched your email subscribers, your website traffic, and your revenue into one table, and then did some math in between all of them to tell you the health of your business. So to tell you like, hey, your email subscriber growth is not directly related with your revenue growth, like you should try and fix something in between those two. Like something is off there that could be better Mm. or maybe it was something else. And I have such technical limitations that I always have to lean on developers to take and make it a tool, make it an actual piece of software. But here's the thing. We went through three developers on that project and it ended up just failing essentially. Like it never got It never ended up working in a way that we wanted. Mm. And when it did, we always wanted it to be better. So it was like, it just was such a limitation for me. And so that's actually why we're, Caroline and I are now, you know, we talk about ideas. And even if our intuition says, this is a great idea, like you mentioned, you know, following our intuition, if we can't make it happen at the place we are right now, it's, we can only do things that we can make happen because we're so tired of relying on other people and other skill sets that we don't have. And 
having it go wrong or having it be expensive or any of those things. And and none of that is driving us enough where let's just do the things that we can do. And then the trick is, is the creative spin on the end of it. So it's just making it slightly different or unique or at least high quality enough where someone goes, oh, well, yeah, that was that's way better than just a website template that I can find on, you know, Thrive Market or, or not Thrive Market, Creative Market or whatever. Yeah. So and I, I think that's that's interesting. Your 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 kind of motto right now is, you know, we're going to work on things that we can make happen. Um, and the question, I guess, for somebody like me or anyone else listening to that is, okay, so what can I make happen? And is there value in that? And what, you know, how do I, how do I, uh, do I need to improve my skills or, mm-hmm. or is there enough value there right now as is? And I think that a lot of people, that's where a lot of people get stuck because they look for those templates, right? They look for those processes or those ways of doing things. And this to me is the difference between, um, uh, the, the difference between what to do and how to do it. <clears throat> so I, you can tell me here is, here is what you need to do to grow an audience, right? Online. You need to have an email list. You need to have a email, um, uh, marketing platform that you can collect email lists. You need to send a newsletter, right? Those are all like what to do, mm-hmm. but the real value, um, you know, the, the, the real value is in how you do it. Yep. Right. So your email newsletter might be stacked with um, uh, more information, better information. You might be a better writer. You might be more funny. You might be more inspirational than, say, my newsletter. So while you and I are doing the exact same steps, you're getting a lot of subscribers and I'm not getting very many. And it's because it's not just the steps you take or what you do, but it's also how you do it. And that how you do it is, I think, where people get trapped because they don't, they haven't necessarily developed the skills they need to do it better. And so they are following the steps and not seeing much success. You know, it's like, well, Tim Ferriss told me to do these five things, but I'm not, Tim, but I'm not uh, reaching the level of Tim Ferriss. Why would that be? Well, it's because not, it's not just what, what you do. It's also how you do it. But the thing is, is you have to get started somewhere, mm-hmm. right? So you're not going to be Tim Ferriss day one, right? You're not going to be Jason and Caroline day one. Um, and I think that's what your community does for people is, is, is it, 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 the Wayne community seems, appears to me anyway, as a member of it is it's like, Hey, you need you need to know that maybe you're not going to be the best in the world at this right now today, but these are the steps to take. And then as you start taking these steps, you start to figure out how to own it yourself. Yep. Right. And it's kind of like that you start out following this path and then you got to start owning the path and you, you've got to put in enough value into it for people to start uh, paying attention to you. Um, and the steps alone aren't going to be enough. You guys obviously are at that stage, which is why you're willing to take these risks, I imagine, is you're willing to say, I think we offer enough value in this particular area. Say it's the Squarespace websites, for example. You know, you're, you're talented enough, you're skilled enough, you're experienced enough to offer enough value here to to see. But you're also not sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, you're, you're also, you know, you're saying, well, we might make $500, we might make $2,500. Not really sure. Let's test our assumptions, as you always like to say, yep. and see where we end up. So it's, it's good. This is a good experiment because I think it's teaching people from afar, hopefully listening, at least it's teaching me, that it's like, 
okay, so where do I add value? Mm-hmm. How do I know I'm getting more benefit out of doing this than just one, you know, I'm not just, you know, shooting for the home run one benefit. Yep. There's ancillary benefits here to me. And I know that, you know, I, I can take risks on things that I don't know how they're going to turn out. But I think I have to have some sort of hypothesis that says, I think I'm adding enough value here. Let's test my assumption. Yep. Yeah. And I, I do, there's something really important about, and everyone's heard this type of cliche, which is you can't compare your starting line to someone else's finish line or even your starting line to someone else's starting line. Because when Tim Ferriss, let's not even use Tim Ferriss, when Rich Roll runs a marathon and you or I line up to run a marathon, (laughs) very different results are going to happen. And that's the same thing as someone who was to maybe do this exact BASFA experience of their own. And even five years ago, us, five years ago, us, if we were to do this, there's no way it would be the quality. Like, I can't even, I think you're going to be floored when you see, number one, the brand, but the resulting website that Caroline built, she showed it to me just last night. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, Number one, this is like a twenty thousand dollar website and brand. Like I, because I know that world. I lived in that world. I, I help build websites and brands for people, and it's crazy how good this thing looks. Like it looks like it was, you know, an agency built it, and that was not us five years ago. That was us, you know, five years ago was lining up to the starting line of the marathon and going like, I mean, <laughs> if we walk this thing, it'll be a success. Let alone <laughs> finishing in general. And you know, now we're at the level where I do feel like in one week. It's amazing what Caroline can create, what I can help, you know, create from like a, you know, watching us do this kind of the architecting of seeing the story behind it and how it all works and then actually making it something people can digest and share and do those things. And I do think for everybody, it's their own journey and it's their own way of doing it. But the really important thing is to, it, it kind of goes back to the make 500 examples like you have to get on the starting line and then you have to go like you can't get to the starting line and, and get yourself psyched out and then they you know, shoot off the starting gun and then you turn around and go, eh, I'm going to go back home. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I got to this point, I'm not going to do the hard work now. It's like, y- you have to send the newsletters that are mediocre. You have to build the projects and s- share the things that aren't great because that's the only way you're going to move forward to get better at all these things that you do. Uh, and it's the only way that we've done it. And like you said, that's all we tell the WAM community is when we teach something, it always comes from firsthand experience. Hey, do this, build your audience this way, create this way, get out of debt this way, because it's exactly where we were a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. We were this space, this problem, this issue, and here's how we got through it. And you can do the exact same thing because we're just the same people you are. You just have to actually show up and do it and then get going. Well, I'm, as a fan of Caroline's, I'm excited to see it because I've I've seen your guys' work. Like I was in the... um, uh, you know, the Wayne website the other day and then the uh, teachery website with Build Without Burnout course that you guys have. Yeah. And, and it's just like yeah. so impressive. It's like, geez. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you guys are going to make any more money making it that impressive uh, per se, but it's so cool to watch you guys take the time and energy and make it that because it just makes my experience so much better as a user, as a consumer of it. Yep. And I'm super impressed by it. Like that, that's one thing I, I hadn't mentioned to you that I wanted to mention to you. Cause I just, I, I know you guys put a tremendous amount of effort and time and energy into those things. And it shows. I mean, it's just so good, man. Like, it's just so good. No, I appreciate that. You know, I I think what's so interesting, so about this whole topic, this whole BASFA topic, and then just even like the topic of quality and ideas. So yesterday we went for coffee and we we do a coffee walk like almost every other day because we have an amazing coffee shop we love right around the corner now. We thought of a way to 
basically turn our entire business on its head mm. in a matter of 25 minute walk. <laughs> and and it's it's almost hilarious how many times we've done this. And it's not because you know of anything that I think is inherently amazing about us. It's just that we're willing to always test assumptions, always talk through ideas, always experiment and try stuff. And I don't know if we're going to completely turn our business around, but something tells me that, and turn around is the wrong word, is to basically like flip it on its head and do something different. But I do think that there's something to really be said for, we just really believe in, you always have to be evolving. You always have to be improving. And if that's really what drives you as well, you have to lean into it because if we don't do those things, if we don't listen to our intuition in those spaces, we're going to end up in a stagnant business. We're going to end up not liking our business. And and those are things that we really have to kind of trust and kind of lean into. Well, and it also goes back to a previous episode where we talked about, you know, kind of average is over. Like you can't just sit, yeah. you can't just sit around and you, you got to be evolving. You got to be getting better. You got to be trying things. And that, it, it seems exhausting, frankly. Like it, it, when you think about it from that perspective, it seems like, boy, is this ever going to, you know, end? And the answer is no. Like when you start a business, it's an ever evolving thing. A business is a living, growing, breathing thing. It's one of the things I always share with anyone I consult with. Like, are you prepared, you know, to deal with this every single day for the rest of your, you know, ownership of this business? You have to deal with this every single day, you know, and there's no, you're thinking about something, you're changing something, you're growing something, you're firing someone, you're hiring someone, you're paying some bill, somebody wants you to pay a bill, you're making money, you're not making money, like every single day is something new and something to deal with. And you've got to be on board with that, which is, you know, why, why you hear people often give the advice of pursue something that you're passionate about because, you know, their, their point there is not necessarily that you're going to make money because you're passionate about it. It's that you have to put up with so much that you might, you might as well go after something that you actually enjoy doing and that you love doing because otherwise it's going to be miserable, miserable. Um, and, and, you know, for you guys, it's like, you guys are finding things, you know, you're finding those ancillary projects that support your bigger mission and the bigger, uh, uh, point of, of where you're trying to make money, but also you're, you're into that thing as well. Like Caroline's obviously into building these websites. She's getting a lot of value out of that design and that creativity. And then you get a, you know, you're obviously getting a lot of value out of, well, then how can we present it in a way that's unique and different? And how can we possibly make money on this in a way that's not your standard way? Those creative juices are flowing and that's obvious in the effort and energy and the, the output that, that you guys, um, are able to achieve when you're done with it. So it'll be cool to see. So when, when you launch this, you're going to do it for how long? Yeah. So it should be a three week project. So we're actually, everything will be done. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, here's how the sausage is made. Um, everything's done. Caroline recorded her screen through all the different steps of the process, whether it was branding or Squarespace. Or even us talking about like how you can customize the site if you're the person who ends up buying it because we wanted to show like here's how you can make it yours. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the three weeks, I think we're going to do a five day silent auction. So it'll start on Monday, it'll end on Friday, and you're just going to submit through a simple type form survey embedded in the post on the site. And so basically, the highest bidder, you know, will do that. And, and Caroline actually had a really good idea yesterday as well. She's been, again, her brain's been firing all cylinders, which is awesome for us. Where we're going to have an option in there of like submit your price, but then if you wanted to pay for this, like you would pay almost like a an agency that was designing for you, you could split it into monthly payments. So you don't, if you like, maybe you would spend a little bit more, but you can't spend it in a big chunk of money. Oh yeah, and you'd say like, oh. 
I can pay 500 bucks over the course of four months or something. Like if that's, if that's the example, um, I think we're going to give that option. So that's, those are like the little tweaks that we make too, to try and make it as thoughtful as possible for people and understand their experience. So, um, three weeks, one week of an auction. And at the end of that third or the start of the third week. So it should just be a total of a three-week project. All right. Well, we'll see how well it moves the needle. Yeah, yeah. It'll be fun. Okay, so uh, that's a- an hour before we've gotten... Well, we did get to your your chiropractic, but you've got some <laughs> updates you said on uh, the surgeon and young blood coffee. Uh, what's uh, What's been going on with you? Yeah, you know, one thing that I've learned in doing business is like things change things can change in an instant, you know, like, you know, I think people, and that's what you have to be prepared for and you have to be prepared to act on those. So I think in a previous episode, I talked about momentum and how, like, I don't think businesses improve by just incremental things. They improve by incremental change, but they don't grow by incremental change. They grow in, in big momentum swings. Spikes. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to, you've got to do all the little things that lead up to that big spike. And then you get that big spike. So few updates. Number one with the surgeon, we had a conversation. So when I, when I take on consulting clients, it's very informal as you, as you know, like it's people typically reach out to me. Typically, um, I just talk to them and typically we don't have a contract. Typically I make up a number that I want to be paid and typically they either pay it or they don't. (laughs) It's like, that's about (laughs) as far as it goes, right? Like I, I just put in no energy and effort into all the minutia around it. Um, to me, it's just like, I know some things. I think I can help you. Here's where I think I can help you. Here's how much it's going to cost for me to help you. You in, you out, you know? And then generally we come to some consensus on that. Well, I love it. Um, and then, you know, I always know, like, like I want to add value, uh, where I can, but I also, I'm not interested in staying forever. And I'm also not interested in them paying me forever just because, right? So, yep. so I've gotten to a point with, where with this particular surgeon, I think it's time for me to go. So I think I've, mm. I've gotten, you know, we are very stable. We now have multiple sources of revenue. We now have a uh, process in place to start to improve that revenue, which we already have, but even more so. Um, and we've seen some of those big momentum spikes already. Right. So, so we went from, uh, you know, averaging doing one surgery in our own surgery center to now averaging doing 15 a month. Right. So, so that's growth, (laughs) you know, like that's dramatic growth, right. We went from, um, doing eight consultations every single month to now we're averaging 23 consultations every month. Right. So that's big growth. Yep. We we went from averaging about $3400 per surgery case to averaging about $7500 per surgery case. Big growth. We went from uh we we moved his goal up to uh 2000 an hour per surgery. And so we're now at, at that mark where, so, you know, and then, and then we went from having two staff members, neither of whom really understood what they were doing, um, or, or were doing it very well to now five staff members. Um, everyone knows their positions, you know, everyone's got very clear understanding of how and why they're important to the business. Uh, we have a whole knowledge base of training videos, um, you know, so we've, we've kind of built the foundation for everything. So, and then, you know, we went from having no product to now we're doing about 2,500 a month in product. Um, you know, we went from having virtually no ancillary services to now doing about $12,000 a month in ancillary services. So tons of room for growth. I think you should be about, about, you know, even triple where this ended up. 
but the foundation is there now, right? So like everything I can do from this point forward is just incremental mm-hmm. instead of these big momentum swings. So once it gets to where the value I'm adding is incremental, it's kind of no value. You know, it's just, it's just not, it's just not worth paying me. You can pay somebody a lot less yeah. um, to do some of that incremental change. You know, you can pay your team that's going to be there forever. The, the, the value of investing in the team rather than investing in me is, is much more important. Um, so, so I'm just at a stage where I'm like, you know, this isn't, this isn't going to add a lot of value for you. It's not going to add a lot of value for me. Let's just, uh, bring that to a conclusion. Hmm. So, so we're winding down that relationship. Um, and then that, what that does is now that frees me up to put more energy and effort toward building my own digital products, Mm. which, you know, is uh, at the forefront of my mind. So now I have a gap of time. And now I can use that time to start to make the transition from one to one to one to many, mm-hmm. which is which is my number one goal right now. Which so I went um, and listened to the first. Uh, um, I, I started the Build Without Burnout course. Nice. And I did the first lesson. Completed that all the way through, and then I'm going to start the second lesson today. Cool. And we'll see where we get, uh, but this is my main focus now, um, which is great. So now I have my kind of primary time and energy dedicated to building my digital courses, which before, you know, it was very passive and secondary in the background, um, and I wasn't getting very far with it. So, so I now can hold myself more accountable and, and have the free time and energy to put forth in developing out courses and other digital products. So I'm excited about that. Oh, cool. Okay. I have two questions for you. Yep. Um, one is actually more of an assumption, which I think I know the answer to, but I do think it would be interesting to know when you work with these clients and as someone who's also worked with clients, do you find that like when you say like, oh, it's time for me to wind down is actually more because you don't get a lot of value from not being in the beginning stages where you're figuring everything out, where you're solving all the problems and they're all kind of fun problems to solve, right? So it's like, okay, what, where's the building we're going to buy? How are we going to set the building up? What's the experience going to be like? How are we going to make the employees more in tune to what we're doing? How are we going to make different streams of income for you? How are we going to up your income? How are we going to get more people in the door? And once you solve all those problems, you then end up kind of in like a maintenance position, right? Where it's like, you could continue to get paid, even if we just throw a number out, $10,000 a month. Like you could get continue to get paid that money, but it's really mundane work and it's really not fulfilling work. And you would rather not get paid that money and use all of that time to something else. Is that my correct assumption of kind of how you view these relationships as I would? Not, not necessarily. Ooh. I think I'm slightly different in you in that I am happy to take free money. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, so I don't, I took a drink of water there. I almost spit my water everywhere. <laughs> no, I, and I'm obviously being a little bit facetious about no, that, but I, know, yeah. but I am, I, I don't have the creative itches that I think you do to that, to yeah. that extent, but I do, I am a problem solver and, and I like puzzles. So I do get a lot of value out of creating big jumps, you know, like I, I don't, it, it, I do get bored and it is monotonous once it starts becoming what I would call incremental improvements, um, versus those big jumps. But, but also like, I, I don't have 
constant itches like you do. So, yeah. so I don't have ideas constantly popping into my head like, ooh, I really want to try this. Ooh, I, I really like to explore this. Ooh, I would. That's not really where my how my mind works. My mind works more like I see something that's problematic and I think I can solve that. Now I'm getting excited. Mm-hmm. Or I see something not quite working the way it could work and I think I can make it work better. Now I'm excited. So my energy comes less from ideas and more from solving puzzles, right? So the, so the idea is the puzzle. So you have the idea and you've turned it into a puzzle, but the puzzle's kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. Let, me fi- let me fix it, Yeah. right? And so that's where I get a lot of my value at. And so, so in the case of like this case, things were kind of a mess. Uh, the ideas were already on the table. The ways of making money were already on the table, but they weren't being executed very well. And, and it wasn't, there was no clear path and, and it was kind of a jumbled mess here. Let me put the pieces in the right order for you. And then once the pieces are in the right order, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bored with it. Um, but, but more like, I, I think it's my responsibility to say, okay, I can keep fiddling with these pieces, but you're going to pay me too much to do so. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's just my responsibility to just say that, um, and, and move on you know, and, and move on to other things. But, and that's kind of where I got, where we're at here. I think both of us in this case realized it, you know, I think he's saying, yeah, I'm going to pay you too much. And I'm saying, yeah, you're going to pay me too much. Um, let's, let's, you know, let's pass this off to other people and and let them kind of fiddle with the remaining pieces. Now, if he wants to come back to me and say, okay, now I'm at a different stage and now I want to retire, uh, from doing surgeries myself, but I still want to have income coming in um, and I still want my business to run. Well, now that's a significant enough challenge for me to re-engage, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a, that's a big difference from where they're at right now. So those huge jumps, those huge leaps, I love taking, but those day-to-day incremental improvements, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. Okay. So my second question was, and that's a super interesting uh, answer to that question because it wasn't what I necessarily thought, but um, it does also bring up the point of, which is a very weird ism of me of like, I can't get paid if I'm not interested. And that's such a bizarre problem to have as a human. Yeah. <laughs> like you should always be willing to get paid and just, you know, rest on your laurels uh, and just deal with it. But I, yeah, I can't like, it just like my insides turn. Like I can't, I just can't sleep at night doing it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And I think, cause you're right. Like I don't get enough satisfaction out of that thing. Like that's not what's driving me. Right. Um, so my second question to you is uh, you're now starting build without burnout, which selfishly I would love to know as you go through it, I think it would be really fun just to get little updates from you on what you liked, what you didn't like. Cause I would actually like to know from your perspective, cause you know, we're, I think just this podcast is really fun for us to share our perspectives on things, but then also for me to learn from your experience with this. Um, so I want to know that that's part of it. Um, you know, and maybe you don't even have to do it this week necessarily, but I think on future episodes, it'd be fun for you to just yeah. be like, okay, I went through month one. Here's what I liked. Here's what I didn't like. Here's what I didn't understand or cool. This helped, you know, me do whatever. But my question to you is, and I think this is a relevant question to a lot of people who get to this stage in, I want to move from one to one to one to many. Do you know what your runway is to not have to have a client necessarily or to have consistent monthly income to know how much time you need to bridge in order to build up some semblance of income with the online courses that you want to make so that you can say, okay, this is how much time I have. I have to get some money coming in at this time for this to work. Yeah, I I don't have, you know, a runway. So like, I mean, of any significance because 
here's how I think about that is any runway I have is ruining my future. Mm -hmm. So if I spend my money, there's two reasons why I'm struggling is one is if, if I spend my immediate, the money I have immediate access to, I don't know how much of that I'm going to need for my health issues. Mm -hmm. I have literally received in the last six months, I received a, not a bill, but a statement that said, you may owe $500,000. Oh my gosh. And then I received two statements that says you do owe $102,000 and $105,000. Wow. Okay, so that's just in the last six months. Now, I think I can negotiate those down and I don't want to over-dramatize this, but those are real. Like I, I received those things in the mail and they have those figures on them, right? I'm in the process of trying to get a kidney transplant. And if you look at out-of-pocket related to that, it's at least a half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. um, I have insurance, but the insurance is a little sketch because I'm self-employed and uh, uh, the best insurance I can do is on the marketplace. Um, I don't know what will be covered, what won't be covered. I don't know. Like there's too many unknowns for me. Mm -hmm. So my, my cat, I get real nervous about spending cash mm. right now. Until I get further along in my health situation, spending any cash is just dramatic. <laughs> So that's one. And then two, I don't want to spend away my future trying to build something now. Mm. And I, I think there's there's kind of like a, um, I feel for people that have certain responsibilities because we're in an age where it's like, well, you know, I put everything on credit cards and I just went for broke. And like every success story sounds like that. Yeah. And the truth is, like, that's not every success. Well, that might even be many success stories, but we're cherry picking, right? And we're not talking about all the failures and all the people who, you know, I put everything on credit cards and now I uh, ruined my credit score and now I can't get any credit and now I can't find an apartment to live in and now I can't, you know, we don't hear very many of those stories. Um, and also, like, I, I don't want to spend away my future because I'm in, I'm in the, I'm still in the prime of my earning years per se, but I don't know how much longer I have being at the age of 40, right? Like I might have what, like 15 more years of prime physical where I exchange my physical energy for money, maybe 15 more years of that, you know, of any significant money. So I can't be spending away my future on some idea I have now if I don't know what that's the likelihood of that success is. So while I have some time, you know, maybe a few months, a handful of months, um, I don't even like thinking of it in those cases because I think I'm just ruining my future uh, with that. And so, yeah. so I do feel a ton of pressure and stress from that perspective, especially knowing I can go make money yeah. like I just did. Right. So like, especially knowing I can go land another consulting client, make $10,000 a month, like no brainer. I'm putting that aside to take a chance at something that I don't know if it will work or not work. I don't know how much money I'll make from it or not make from it. I don't know how long it'll take to make money or not make money. I don't know how long it'll take to make significant money, right? Everything is unknown in that world to me. So it is a little stressful to wonder and question, am I making the right decision? Why should I do this? You know, all those conflicting um, things that come up when you try to do something new and you try to explore something you never explored before. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that you shared that. N not only from the perspective of, I think it's super relatable to other people. I mean, the medical bills probably are not relatable. That's just, I mean, that's tough and that's scary. And it's, you know, I mean, it's crazy, but the taking the risk on yourself and, you know, 
putting off making reliable money every month to invest in yourself. I mean, again, this goes back to earlier conversations that, that you and I had many years ago where you you turned my thinking around on some of this stuff where I just realized like, sure, I can go get another client or I can have another project where someone pays me X amount of money, but I can also build my own thing where my potential return is 10x whatever that is. And and granted, there's a lot more work that goes into that. There's a lot more possibly stress and effort and things that go into that. But I can't do that in the one-to-one world. Like there's only so many hours per day, week, month that I can work. And I'm I'm I just it's finite. And I think it's yep. finite for you too. Yep. So I guess my follow-up question there before we move on is so what what is your like what's your plan? Because I know that you're you're a planner to some degree. Like you're not just going into this going like, all right, I'm gonna cruise through these lessons and see what happens. Like I imagine you have some type of timeline in mind um, or potential outcome from this. What does that look like for you? Well, right now my plan is very surface level. And so it'll be cool to, you know, do this podcast and kind of see how I'm, you know, trying to move the needle, if you will, um, each step of the way. So I really am kind of coming into this a little bit without a strict plan yet. And what I'm actually hoping for is build without burnout helps me develop that plan. Right. Mm, So, okay, cool. So, so I have some thoughts that aren't really a plan, right? So my thoughts are before the end of this year, I need to make enough money to cover my general monthly expenses from whatever I build online. So, you know, that can be in the range of say like $5,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I could, if I could accomplish that goal, I, I think I'm sitting okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not falling behind. I'm not moving ahead, but I'm not falling behind. So that's kind of like my first level thought. My second level is I think I, I have enough knowledge in my head and, and enough, uh, practical real world experience to tell me that people want what I have. Um, and they're willing to pay for what I have and they're willing to pay me enough to make a strong enough living off of it. So I have that thought. Third, I have very specific things that I teach people. So I feel like I have a niche where I can say, if you are this person in this situation, this product that I've developed will help you, which I think is important. So I'm not just like, oh, I have some ideas. I have very specific things I already do. I just don't do it on a one-to-many scale. So I feel good about knowing this works. I have proof this works, uh, like countless proof that this works. So all I need to do is package it differently. Yep. Right? So so I think I have some thoughts that say I have a pretty good idea that this should work. I, could, I think it'll work enough to cover, like I'm not saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to, buy a yacht and make millions of dollars and blah, blah, blah. I'm just looking for $5,000 a month, right? Yeah. And and if, as long as I can get to that stage, it's much like the thing with the ornaments where I shared recently where, you know, we don't have our warehouse costs anymore. So mm-hmm. so our our everything is upside now. And I try to get myself as fast as I can to a place where everything is upside. Yeah. Every, every investment I make is about getting myself to the point where there's no longer much of a downside, now let's let's just grow the upside. And so for me, that $5,000 mark and before the end of this year would accomplish that. Now, I don't know if that's too fast. I don't know if that's realistic at this stage, but that's where I'm sitting. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, I think it'll be really fun to keep connecting on this on a weekly basis, especially if it's something where 
I think you're going to be going a lot faster than the intended pace of Build Without Burnout, which the idea was you do, you know, essentially a lesson every week for six months. So we built the program to be a six-month program, but that's only because we wanted to test an assumption that maybe people were burnt out on the like, hey, you can do this in a month, and no one was doing it in a month. So it was like, well, let's make it longer so that people can stick to it at a slower pace. But because you didn't jump in in the beginning, everything is pretty much open to you you know, so you can go through it, right. you know, right. faster. You don't have to wait. It's already been kind of unlocked on that because of the date that you were, um, that you started it. I, I'm, I'm very curious. I mean, I think this, it's funny because this goes back to the, uh, the chiropractor finding the best doctor, finding the best thing. Like you're entrusting our knowledge and experience of the online course world, yes. which we have made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars from in our, just our online courses in general. Now, is that something that is, you know, we've seen it work for other people. So like, you know, I, there are people in Wandering Gamefully who make more than $5,000 a month from their courses. Now, granted, they didn't start with learning from us. Like they had some other experience. They learned some other things from us sure. and then they did that, you know. But, um, you know, we do have people that that started with us, but they also started with different advantages. They started with different networks. They start, you know, and so it's, I'm just so curious to see how this goes for you because I'll be really interested even to like, ideate with you in future episodes where I know you have some, we've talked about this, you, you've alluded that you have some marketing ideas for your online courses, mm-hmm. which I think will be fun to get to when the timing is right yep. to talk about those. Yep. But to really see like, okay, well, what is moving the needle for you? What are we teaching that we can maybe learn from your experience that we can pile some lessons onto and help people with? And then also what is working with you know for you? What isn't, and and kind of um, see what's going on. So that's to me, that's the whole purpose of this podcast in general. So it's going to be fun to see it happen with this kind of in real time. Well, that's what's so great about this is you know most of the things that you and I have been talking about, where we had already started. Yes, and this will be the first thing between the two of us. I think. Well, you've got you're doing a couple of things that you started throughout the podcast, but they're smaller for yeah, your bigger, much smaller. Purpose. Yeah, yeah. So it will be kind of fun and cool to see you know, week after week, how well this is going or not going and, and, and what adjustments to make. But yeah, you're right. Like I am, you know, I have a small group of people that I, you know, rely on and trust to give me good guidance, you being one of them. Um, but I am putting a, a lot of trust in WAME, um, and in build without burnout and just in, in the vice that you guys give as a starting point for me, obviously I've got my own ideas having been around a long time. I've got other people advising me on things I can do and so forth, but I am, uh, putting a lot of trust in, well, they've already done it. Um, they have this information that helps them do, helps people do it. So I, I am not the type of person that's like, oh, well, you know, I got to reinvent the wheel. I'm the type (laughs) of person that's like, well, shit, if they already have done it and they make money doing it, why don't I just do that? And then over time, I'll put my own spin on it, my own tweaks on it, of course. But there's no reason to start from scratch when other people are out there willing to help you get started, you know, take, take full advantage. And that's what I'm doing here. Yeah. One quick question on build without burnout. Yes. How come, how come you guys don't have it locked? Um, So we did. So when you, so the reason why you see it unlocked is because you you were already in Wandering Aimfully. So we essentially, when Build Without Burnout started, dropped everybody who was in already in Wandering Aimfully into Build Without Burnout. And so we said, hey, this is starting. If you're ready to start it, jump in. And so I think about 100 people started it. But then you're one of the people who didn't. So essentially, your account 
has already started it. So week by week, the lessons have been unlocked. So if you go in and you look at the dashboard of all the lessons, you should see like month six should be locked for you. It is. So let me ask you this then. So if I were to buy Build Without Burnout by itself, would I start at the beginning and everything would be locked? Yes. Okay. Okay. And so what what we're going to do is, uh, because we we haven't even finished the first class of it yet, again, because it's a six-month thing and it started in, I think it started in January is when we actually kicked it off. Um, or maybe it started in March. I don't know. Anyway, um, is we are going to give people the option once we finish it of let us know if you want to just unlock it and blaze through it. Like say you're someone who just like started tomorrow with Wandering Aimfully, you wanted to get into Bill Without Burnout and you're like, in the summer, I just want to get this done. Like I have time. We can just go in and unlock everything for you. You can blaze through. But for most people, we want to keep the locking because we have heard such great feedback from folks who've gone, thank you for not letting me get ahead and overwhelming myself. Because it's what so many people do when they're embarking on something they don't have a lot of experience. And truthfully, we are teaching a lot of things. Like we're teaching... You've even seen it. Like we're like financial goals, yep. uh, expectations of yourself, carving out time for these things. Like that's not even related to the course and how you sell it and any of that stuff at all, because it is necessary to have that foundation of when you're running a digital product business, it's different than working with a client. Like you have to think about it as a different animal right. uh, in, in a certain way. Yep. So cool. All right. Um, well, that's fun. I'll be I'll be curious to see how that goes. So before we do our, our personal moving the needles, I think you said you had an update on Youngblood, the coffee shop. Yeah. So speaking of momentum, so we have a situation where uh, a guy tried to start a coffee shop in Minneapolis and he put a ton into the coffee shop, this beautiful space, but it almost was like um, his own personal laboratory. Hmm. You know, it was so beautiful and and so amazing, but he forgot like he's selling cus- coffee to customers, you know, <laughs> like, like there's a whole nother part of this, that, yeah. you know, where you got to actually make money and you can't just have your tinkering lab, yeah. you know, like this is a coffee shop. So uh, he opened it up and it was basically just him and his wife. And they weren't keeping up, you know, people were like making comments, like I'm waiting in line for 10 minutes to get a coffee and, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and that stuff. So he kind of took the, the specialty coffee experience too far, you know, where it was like, you know, like at Youngblood, if you want to come in and you just want a cup of coffee, like we already have pre-made coffee and we'll give you a cup of coffee, you know? And you're on your way, like going to work or whatever, you're in a hurry. But then if you want to have a pour over that's going to take five minutes or eight minutes or 10 minutes to make or whatever, we'll do that too, right? Because you got to cater to the swath of customers that are going to be coming into your shop. Um, And so one, they just had coffee. Two, it was only specialty coffee in terms of how it was made, where it would take forever to make. And three, he was the only one making it. Mm. So- so he uh, ended up going out of business. Oh, wow. Uh, literally like three months after he started, which happens a lot yep. where people have these ideas and they just can't quite execute it the way they think they can in their head. Um, and uh, it doesn't turn out well. So now he's got this beautifully built out former warehouse in downtown Minneapolis. Um, and he's got two and a half, let's see, he's got, Three, two and a half more years on a three-year lease. Oh wow! Basically, uh, that he has to find a way to pay for somehow, right? He's responsible for that, and he's personally guaranteed it. Um, and but he's now, you know, has a closed coffee shop where he's not making any money. So, hmm. so we're always, you know, um, Tim, 
my partner in this. And again, I want to stress, basically Tim and Alicia are doing everything. I want, (laughs) I I cannot stress this enough because I feel like I'm just the mouth talking about this, you know, this is like Carol, this is like Caroline for me and our, our BASFA project. It's like, I I need to just stress the importance. Like I'm putting things in WordPress, but everything else, like I'm not doing anything. Right, right, right. So, but, but this is where my value comes in. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so people are always like, well, what value do you add? Well, this is it. Right. So Tim can call me up and say, Hey, I'm in a hurry. I have an opportunity. It seems good. Do you think it's good? What questions should I think about? What should I ask? What information do we need? Are we growing too fast? If we open up a shop in a city that's, you know, four hours away from our only other shop, is that wise? Is that stupid? Is that right? So like I can start to kind of work him through all the questions that that I think about in these cases. Also, I can examine the lease and see if it's smart for us to take the lease, see if it's smart for us to try to renegotiate the lease, uh, you know, get a new lease, you know, things of that nature. So we're eyeballing the space and we're seeing if, you know, it's already built out. All we would need to do is add a couple of uh, different machines that we want, but the majority of machines are already there. The space is built out. You know, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous space. It's in downtown Minneapolis, which is, you know, we were thinking we might go Minneapolis or Chicago as our next stop. Mm-hmm. Um, we want a bigger city. Uh, we want to grow. Minneapolis seems like the wise choice. So we've been eyeballing spots and we've been kind of watching real estate prices and everything else. Also, interestingly enough, we had an employee at our Fargo shop who um, one day Tim and, and this employee kind of got in a spat with each other mm. and it got kind of ugly and that employee walked out and then he called the next day and was like, hey, I'm just checking to see if I should come in. <laughs> and Tim was like, uh, you walked out? <laughs> you, you know, that I took that as you were quitting. And so, no, you can't come back in. So um, they had this kind of un- unfortunate incident and both have later, you know, kind of been level-headed about it. And like, you know, I think I overreacted and I think I overreacted. And, and this employee has come in to since apologize and he still comes into the shop regularly and gets coffee. This was like a year and a half ago, this happened. Anyway, he's been working for a coffee shop in Minneapolis. And it's funny because he's been coming to Tim regularly, like, man, people don't know how to do coffee. Like, you know, mm. he's like, they don't know how to treat customers. All they care about is their coffee. They forget that there's a customer on the other side of this transaction. And what are we doing to take care of them? And and so he's been wanting, you know, to find a new place. And so we're thinking about hiring him again, <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, and uh, putting him in charge of that shop, uh, which I would love because I love this guy. I, he's super talented I and he is just infatuated with coffee. Um, and he had some growing up to do, you know, he was 22 on that day that he walked out and, you know, he was just kind of acting like, screw this, you know, I'll just go work for another coffee shop. He's later learned like not all coffee shops are made equal Mm -hmm. and, um, he's not learning what he was learning before and they're not treating customers the way he wants to treat customers or how he learned how to treat customers. So we have this spot in Minneapolis now, it would take about a hundred thousand dollars all in, in terms of the lease, 
some of the equipment we need to buy. We need to hire five employees. We need to have a runway of being able to pay those employees long enough. So we're looking at probably a $100,000 investment all in, which is actually not that much considering, um, you know, we don't have to buy a lot of the equipment we would need and other things and furniture, chairs, tables, you know, things like that. But, uh, but we're exploring it. And the thing is, is like, we have to act fast, right? So this is mm. a situation that just kind of came up out of the blue. This guy just closed up a shop. He's looking to have somebody move in there right away. There's obviously other coffee shops and other coffee shop owners who are intrigued by this space. So we're trying to see if we should put together a deal and make this happen. Um, and if anything does happen, it'll happen probably within the next seven days or so. Mm. This is another thing I think most small business owners don't realize when they start their businesses. Things move fast. Like there's no time to sit around. Like opportunities present themselves. You got to act. You need to make money. You better start now, you know, and, and, and this is an opportunity that just kind of fell in our lap and we're trying to decide if we should move forward or not. All right. So, uh, first of all, this is super fun. I mean, this is like when you first told me on calls before we had this podcast, we were catching up that you were working with a coffee shop. I was so intrigued because as someone who'd even just mentioned earlier, like I walk to a coffee shop every other day with Caroline and we enjoy that experience so much. And it, it brings us so much value to have a place that you just, Mm -hmm. you love and you appreciate and, and, you know, people do care about you. And, and I can name the baristas, like our favorite barista at this place is Emilio and he's just awesome and he's fun. And, um, and even Ellen, the owner, like we thought she was very rigid, but she's like, come around to us. And, you know, it's just like you, you develop kind of like this like community vibe. And, and I think coffee shops are so interesting with that. Um, all that to say, my my biggest question is, and maybe other questions will come of this. Where does the hundred thousand dollars come from? Yeah. And well, that's a great question. <laughs> what is, yeah. What I, I would actually love to know if you're if you can share is like what position is Youngblood in now financially and how does that money get moved around? You know, are you putting more money in? What does that look like? Well, we're exploring all of those options. So, you know, when when something pops up like this, where we weren't we weren't actively looking to open a new shop, right? We're we think about it, yeah. we talk about it, but we're not in any position to open a new shop right now. So, but this is what happens. You are presented often with opportunities unexpectedly, right? And what you have to decide is, is it right for us to do or not? And, and so, and you often have to do that under a very tight timeline. And so we're exploring all of those things right now. So I'm not interested in personally putting in more cash for reasons I've actually outlined earlier, mainly revolving my own healthcare situation, where I don't want to put up any more of my own cash into this situation. Youngblood has cash, but mainly that cash is a cushion. Yeah, And I don't, I don't, yeah. And I don't, not super comfortable with us spending our cushion to open a new space. Although we have to consider at least some of it yeah. that way, p- perhaps, right? Um, so we're looking at, you know, should we bring in a, another investor? Should we get a loan, mm. a bank loan? So we did approach the bank where we already have a loan um, with the bank. So we approached that same bank um, and said, hey, we're, we've got this opportunity. Here's kind of the back of the envelope numbers. 
would you guys be interested in funding something like this? You know, could we even entertain this? And, you know, your banker, if you have a local relationship with a local banker, they'll, they'll give you an idea, right? They'll be like, uh, no, that's way outside of our scope or no, we, you know, we think you're already over leveraged. We wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not giving you a yes or no answer permanently, but they'll, they'll kind of give you a gauge of like, yeah, no, no, no. Submit the documents. We'll take a look you know, we would love to consider loaning to you again or something like that. So they're definitely interested. They're highly interested because we've done so well uh, with our current shop. And because this one is in, you know, Minneapolis, much larger city, much more foot traffic, you know, it should do in theory much, much better um, than the shop we already have, which is doing fabulous. So, so they're interested in giving us a loan um, for somewhere around hundred K we have a potential investor who has approached us in the past about investing, um, who's a, a local to Fargo, um, who just wants to, he, he's a real estate investor and he invests money in projects. And he just said, you know, let me know if you ever need cash. Um, I'd like to invest in something like this. So we have an investor who's potentially interested that we've reached out to. So we're kind of looking at all of our options now. You know, I'm not thrilled about having another investor join um, only because it dilutes ownership value, and I don't really want to dilute my own value. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least a portion of that would probably have to come from my own value. Um, two, when you get more cooks in the kitchen, yep. you have potentially issues for more problems. Um, so, so I'd like to pursue the bank route first. Also. The bank is just debt, yeah. right? So there's lots of ways to take care of debt. Uh, equity, you can't, there's no, there's little flexibility with equity. So, so I'm more intrigued by that option. Um, but then, you know, we have to kind of do the math and, and really decide, is this worth taking the chance right now? And what we may end up finding, you know, my biggest concern, I'll tell you my biggest concern is actually not financial. My biggest concern is enough attention on the shop mm-hmm. to get it where it needs to go. So, you know, Tim and Alicia live in Fargo. That's a four-hour drive to Minneapolis. And and we talked about, you know, should they have a second place in Minneapolis? Then you have all those expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, How often can they travel back and forth? If they start splitting their attention, will that affect one shop or the other, right? So now you're putting all this attention in the Minneapolis shop. Is the Fargo shop going to start struggling? So you got to be careful there. And then frankly, I am concerned about their own marriage. Mm. So once you start adding stress of travel and pressure to be somewhere, and then they're split up, you know, one of them's at the Fargo shop, one of them's at the Minneapolis shop. Now they're not seeing each other. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into something like this that, that I have on my short list of a lot of questions we're answering and asking. Um, to come up with the, the, what we think is the best solution. Yeah, and what I think is really interesting about an opportunity like this, and having never worked in like a specific retail, you know, business like this, I, I do understand how it works, and especially even just from our conversations, I understand how it works. And here's the thing that stands out to me: number one, I think it's amazing that the thing you care about most is the people, right? Like that's that just shows who you are, and and that's pr- probably what I would think about too. But my question is, if you can secure let's just say a bank was going to give you a loan for $100,000 and that was just the debt that you were going to take on to do this. Does that move the needle enough for their business to grow it financially with all the stress, all the employees have to go into it, all the other things, as opposed to investing, say, 
$30,000 into the wholesale side of it where there's less stress, there's not another location, there's not tension on the people that are involved. You don't have to have all employees and all the moving things like, is there more to, to be had in the maybe long-term of both personal and professional just investing further in the wholesale side and doing something more on that than there is in the second actual location. Yeah, so that's a it's an interesting point that you bring up, and that's something actually that we've talked about where the the there's lots of ancillary value. So first of all, you have to fundamentally decide who are you trying to be, right? Right. So so for Tim, he wants to be a real player in the specialty coffee world, mm-hmm. right? So so when he talks, he talks about companies like Stumptown. He talks about, you know, other like uh, uh, Four Barrel, yeah. um, you know, big time players in the specialty coffee world, right? So, so I'm not going to move him from that. Um, and it's not my place to move him from that. Right. It's my place to discover that before I invest, right? So it's my place to say, if I'm going to put my money into this, who are you and who do you want to be? And, and what's driving you. So I learned early on that if I'm going to invest in this company, I'm investing in Tim's vision to be a big player in the specialty coffee world. So I have to consider when we consider moving to into a location in Minneapolis, how does that help or hurt that big, bigger vision, right? So, so there's the practical, how does that help or hurt our immediate causes and does it really make sense? But the other part of it is, how does it help? the And, and being in Fargo, the, the downside of being in Fargo is it really hurts the bigger vision. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of opportunity. We're not going to be a real player on the map. Being in Minneapolis is a different story. That's a big city. It's a Midwestern city. We think we can own the Midwest. There's not a lot of good specialty coffee in the Midwest. We don't want to play the coasts. We don't need to get into that battle but we think we can own the Midwest. And that's why our, our idea of the next location was Minneapolis or Chicago. So this, you know, Minneapolis, Chicago, Kansas City, Tulsa, uh, Omaha, um, you know, there's some cities in there where if we're best and first, we can put our, we can start creating moats like we talked about before. Mm-hmm. They become really important. So there's some ancillary benefits here that you're right, um, you know, that is a, that is a decision for us to make in terms of putting hundred K into a retail location versus, you know, say 30, 50 K into wholesale, but even wholesale, imagine the businesses we can serve in Minneapolis that are harder to get to being in Fargo than they would be if we were well known in Minneapolis. So let's say all these consumers start coming to us raving about our coffee and we're kind of the buzz on the street about specialty coffee in Minneapolis. Now we walk into other businesses, other restaurants and businesses and say, hey, we'd like you to serve our coffee. Oh, we've heard about you. Oh, we've had your coffee. Oh, we've." it makes wholesale a hell of a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And now we have a bigger hub to ship out of as, as well, which makes things. So you got to realize the, the um, complications of Fargo, mm. even just shipping. Yeah. Just shipping is difficult to get stuff in and out of Fargo. In and out of Minneapolis, much easier. So there are ancillary benefits that even though the amount might be different and the upside might be different, theoretically, practically, practical speaking, there, there's some still significant advantages to being in Minneapolis. Now, those might not outweigh, though, um, the downside of, of that sort of investment. We'll, we'll see. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm super interested to see where this goes. I mean, these are the types of conversations that we've had over the years where it's just been fun to like check back in with you, you know, and then find out what happened. And so maybe even by the next time we chat, you'll have, you know, the yeah. next steps on this and what happened and the details of, you know, how the decision was actually made and what that's going to look like. And then we can kind of check in on it, just like we're going to check in on your kind of experience with online courses, you know, see how Youngblood does if they move and have a second location or not move, but like start a second location and, yep. you know, see about that expansion and what it looks like. And that is, that is just such a fun thing to be able to, I think, chat about, know about, you know, have an ear to, uh, especially as someone myself who loves <laughs> very indulgent coffee experiences. Uh, you know, it's super self-serving for me just to be able yeah. to, you know, know yeah. the the business well, side we'll of it see too. what so. happens cool all right let's uh let's talk about finish up here with some of the things that are moving the needle i have two things for you um they're kind of i don't know they're kind of weird things one is so we recorded another episode which uh, may or may not get re-recorded and but in that episode you mentioned a bunch of podcasts to me which we now don't have that up it may come later so anyway i'm just going to tell the listeners of this show and you that you mentioned the broken record podcast to me as a recommendation yes so because i'm a, a you know a, a good friend i immediately went into my castro podcast app which is my podcast app of of choice thank you to John and Marshall, who started the Ketchup Call podcast, which inspired this podcast. A uh, lot of things going on there. And I immediately added, I mean, pretty much every single podcast you mentioned to me, um, not only The Broken Record, but I think you had like 10 recommendations. Oh. Um, I am obsessed with The Broken Record podcast with Malcolm Gladwell. And so I've listened to the two Quest Love ones and the Pentatonics one. Yeah. And it's so fun. It is so interesting. And also the Pentatonics one, Caroline and I have been obsessed with Pentatonics forever. She found them mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. listened to like their Christmas album on repeat and, you know, just love them. Oh, yeah. But just listening to Malcolm Gladwell completely geek out on these guys, the musicians, the musical like theory of things and other stuff. It, it's super fun. So uh, I want to give you a shout out to that because, you know, it may or may not get mentioned, but my move the needle back to you yeah. because Rick Rubin was on the episode with yes. Questlove and Rick Rubin is such an interesting dude. Did you watch the Rick Rubin and Kendrick Lamar GQ interview? No, I don't know anything about this. Okay, so because you don't watch a lot of YouTube, as we discovered very early on in this, except for chiropractic videos, ring dingers, um, <laughs> uh, just Google Kendrick Lamar and Rick Rubin. Okay. Uh, they did this kind of like collaboration for GQ where Rick interviews Kendrick Lamar, and it's awesome. Okay. It is so fun. Uh, Kendrick Lamar is so talented, like yeah. the way he thinks and, and kind of sees music. Um, so that's a really fun one. So I thought it would be really fun to bring that to you as one of my two move the needles. I love both of those dudes, especially Rick Rubin, yeah. who is one of my, Oh, Rick Rubin. Oh, I, I could such a fascinating guy. Totally. And he also just like, he, he, his aura, his vibe yeah. is so interesting. Yeah. Like I forget what they called him in the thing, but it was like musical Zeus or something <laughs> like that. Like, and it fits when you think yeah. you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, okay, so that's my first thing. Kendrick Lamar, Rick Rubin, GQ interview. For those of you listening, if you like music or just like creative people talking, you will love that. It's also super well-produced. My second thing is, and I think you're going to really appreciate this one. So uh, 
Tesla has been around for many years. Uh, I put it actually on my Jason Does Stuff website in 2014 as a goal that I wanted to own a Tesla Model S at the time because the Model 3 didn't exist at the time at some point in the next five years is what I wrote. And uh, I'd owned many cars before that, but we'd gotten into debt and I stopped paying you know exorbitant amounts of money for cars because it didn't make sense and it's just kind of silly waste of money when you can have good experience and just rent cars nowadays super easily. Um, you couldn't really do that 10 years ago. Anywho, uh, fast forward to... Uh, March of last year, we we get our Model 3. We put down $1,000 for our Model 3 as soon as it was announced because it was the more affordable version. It was time for us to buy a new car. Our car was kind of on the outs. And it just, like, we had some money and it was like, okay, we can do this. So we have our Model 3. We've had it for now a year and a couple months. And overall, it is the most amazing experience that the car continues to improve in the garage. Mm. So you get over-the-air Wi-Fi updates for the car. And things that are amazing are simple things. Like, hey, we figured out how to improve the range by 15 miles. So you have 15 more miles on the car. Uh, amazing. I didn't have to take the car anywhere. Um, you know, you know, we've, we've figured out how to create dog mode. So if you leave your dog in the car, you set the car in dog mode. It puts a big thing on the screen that says like, hey, my owner just ran inside. The current temperature in the car is don't worry about me. And so the dog sitting in the car is getting air conditioned. The car is taking care of it. It'll even send you alerts on the phone if like something changes. Um, things like sentry mode. So sentry mode is just a hilarious thing of lost in space, the like HAL robot thing. So they like built this into Teslas where you can turn on sentry mode and it activates all the exterior cameras. And if someone gets too close to the car, it starts recording. And it's now caught multiple people on camera keying cars, breaking into other cars, uh, accidents on the road. Like, it, it's just crazy. Hmm. All these things are happening in Wi-Fi. But here is the one that matters the most. <laughs> so uh, I see Elon tweet about this, and it's this, this is a super popular uh, Android-based car racing game called Beach Buggy um, <laughs> is coming to the Dash uh, TV screen in the Tesla as something you can play when you're in park. And not only can you play it, you use the steering wheel and the brake pedal to play it. Oh, that's awesome. So we get this update just this week. We go to the gym and we're sitting in the parking lot, uh, or, or actually it was right before we left. And so I just start playing. I, I'm like a kid. It is amazing. <laughs> I, this giant screen in the car, I'm using the steering wheel. I'm pressing the buttons on the steering wheel. I'm hitting the brake pedal. Now, you don't hit the gas pedal because they're smart and they realize like, hey, this will probably lead to people just being dumb. And not that the car will even move when it's in park, but just like they ruled that out. Yeah. But I'm driving and it's hilarious. It's amazing. So then Caroline also plays this game. But here, here is the thing that I think is the genius part of not only all of the like eco benefits of electric cars and like just the general futuristic nature of Tesla and like the way they're thinking about changing the cars, a computer that's on the road, that's always evolving. They're eliminating such interesting problems. I will never Greg sit anywhere in the car again and be bored Yeah, because this game has like 40 tracks, like even supercharging the car. Like if we're driving a long distance and we need to stop and supercharge for 30 minutes, I am going to stay in the car. If I have to pee, I'm not getting out and I'm going to play this game. And I know that because I'm only going to play this for like 30 minutes at a time, 
I'm going to be able to play this game for so long and never feel like I'm bored in the car again. And it's such a weird problem that they're solving. And it's amazing that they continue to do this. And I'm doing nothing but just clicking OK on my phone for a software update to happen. That's so ridiculous. So this, it's unbelievable. And I, I know that we've talked about, you know, I've been trying to tell you to like rent a Tesla for, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Now that things like Toro exist and you can. But I cannot begin to express enough the amazing continual improvement of a car that has that's never existed before. Never have you bought a car and it has continued to improve in your garage or in your driveway just with Wi-Fi updates. So it is 100% moving the needle for me in my life. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, first of all, like I don't think people, there's just not a lot of, you know, average person out there has no idea what Tesla's really doing, you know? Mm-hmm. They just hear Tesla in the news and they hear it's an electric car. That's all anyone knows. Yep. But these amazing things that they're doing with these updates and just all the features that you just described and how almost no cars have those features is just so wild to me. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. Now you can play what so what's the it's Mario Kart or what is it's it's basically Mario Kart. It's like a version of Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah. it's called it's called Beach Buggy Beach Buggy Racing Two, um, but it's essentially Mario Kart. Like if you've ever played Mario Kart, you're like you shoot things at other people. You can play two player mode. Oh my god! Uh, you obviously don't have a second steering wheel, so you have to like switch sides. But um, it's super fun. I mean, other like one other thing that I think is going to be huge once they kind of figure it out is the summon feature on Tesla. Yeah, yeah. So I actually recorded a video of this of like on your phone, your car becomes like a giant, like RC car. Like I can press a button and my car backs out of the driveway and I can step into it. So like if you're ever in like a super tight yeah, parking space right. or you you just with the phone, you move the car and then you can get into it. So but, ridiculous. But what's, a, what's even crazier is now they're, they're doing enhanced summon where like, say you're in a parking lot mall, like a, at a mall. And so there's tons of cars, tons of things, but you, it's raining and you don't want to go you know, the jog to go to your car, you can summon the car from where you're standing right. under the awning at Dillard's and it will back out of the spot. It will navigate its way, waiting for other cars, waiting for people. It will put on its turn signal and find the main road to come to you and it will pull up and pick you up. That's so wild. And this is the stuff that's just, as it continues to evolve, I'm like, I don't even understand <laughs> how this isn't, number one, how it hasn't been done before, but then also how is it happening in general? It's just amazing. Yeah, no, that's that's wild. And it will be interesting to see like where this all goes because you're starting to see more and more the traditional car manufacturers are mimicking some of those things that Tesla is doing, yeah. um, even just getting electric cars out there. So I don't know. It'll be fascinating to see where that goes yeah. um, overall. You know that actually, I don't know if you do know, you know that I'm an investor in an electric car company? No, I don't think I knew this. Yeah, so I'm an investor in a company called Arkimoto, hmm. which is uh, founded by a friend of mine out of Eugene, Oregon, and uh, we call it a fun utility vehicle. So it's a two, it's a three wheel ve- vehicle uh, with the kind of like a motorcycle handlebar, huh. um, and it's an electric car. and And we're trying to get them. You know, our, our objective is to get them into like urban areas where you know, parking is a problem and you're just going short distances, but it's a full blown car. I mean, it goes on the freeway, it goes 80 miles an hour. It, I mean, huh. the whole thing. So, yeah. So we're doing some rental fleets with different organizations that are, you know, renting a lot of them. The, the, the 
thought behind it actually occurred to me when I used to own a house cleaning business. And I was like, I, I went to Mercedes because Mercedes owns smart car. Mm -hmm. And I, and I said, you know, what would it cost for me to get a fleet of these smart cars that then I could, you know, uh, brand yep. with branding of the cleaning company. And then they would, you just see them all throughout Seattle. Yep. You know, my brand, just like all these little smart cars just driving around town, like it would be a perfect branding move and also, you know, good for the environment. Um, and good for my employees. And that kind of triggered me to like, look into this a little bit more. And, and, uh, at the time my friend had sold, he sold his company called garage games, which was a video game company, um, for several million and decided to, uh, start his own electric car company called Arkimoto. So, uh, I've been an early investor in that. We actually went public, uh, on the public market like a year ago, I want to say. Yeah, I'm just looking at the stock the stock price now. Yeah, so we raised 120 million in the uh, public offering, um, a little over that, I think it was, uh, right around there, 118, 120 million, something like that. So yeah, it's a publicly traded stock. Um, anyone can buy it. Anyway, I, just uh, interesting to me. You know, th this marketplace is interesting yeah. to me to see where uh, see where things go. Yeah, that's super fun. Um, yeah, that's cool. I was just looking at the website. They're they're cool looking little cars. Yeah, they're fun. They're um, all right. Fun. What a, what about you? Is there any um, personal moving the needle stuff you want to touch on here before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, just a couple of things. So one, um, first of all, thanks for the recommendation on the Rick Rubin, Kendrick Lamar thing. Mm, yeah. One other podcast for you to listen to is Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin. Oh. He hasn't. I love I love Alec Baldwin. First of all, I have kind of a love hate relationship with Alec Baldwin because he seems. I think everyone because he seems like a big jerk, and and I say seems yep. because what you see in the media is not always the case, you know? Yeah. So, but he is so talented and so funny and just such a interesting guy to me. Um, but anyway, he has a podcast called here's the thing. Um, and I listen to a lot of episodes, but in particular, he did an episode, uh, a live episode actually with Ben and Jerry of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> Oh, it's interesting. just, it's fantastic. It's a great episode and you should listen to it, I think. So, okay. so I will find that for sure. Yep. Yeah. Find that episode. Got it. And then, uh, as far as my sleep goes, I'm getting way better sleep actually. Ooh, so nice. you recommended the, um, eye mask, uh, for sleep. And so I bought an yes. eye mask off of Amazon. Literally, I think it was like 10 bucks or something like that. Um, and it's worked great, man. Like, you know, it, at first it was just like, I was like, this is kind of weird. Then it turned into, I was waking up and I wasn't wearing the mask. And then, but now like I sleep through the night with the mask on, I'm still waking up a couple of times mm -hmm. a night, but it's less frequent. First of all, I'm falling asleep fast, mm. but it's less frequent than I'm waking up and I'm wearing the mask all the way through. Wow. So, um, much improved and I'm starting to feel a little more refreshed when I'm waking up. And I think it's a combination. It's a combination of the mask and the Calm app. Mm, so mm. I just put on a sleep story. I don't even know. I can't <laughs> recall a single thing about any sleep story I've listened to. I don't even know if I'm falling asleep like instantly or an hour in. I have no idea. But for some reason, it's really calming me down. And that background noise has seemed to make a huge difference in me staying asleep. Interesting. So, so that combination seems to be working for me. Next up is the sleep blanket, but I'm still going to hold out oh, yeah. on that. I'm not, I'm going to wait. I don't need, I don't think I need it right quite yet, but I do think I want to try it. Um, but I, but I'm trying this formula a little bit longer to see how improved it gets. But yeah, so those, those two things seem to be making a difference. Isn't there something really f like uh, funny might be the right word or even sad, but like the people who spend all the time to develop the sleep stories, all they know is that, 
I'm doing something that's just putting someone to sleep. Like, <laughs> it's so boring <laughs> that the entire goal is that someone stops listening to this as fast as possible and goes to sleep. Yeah, I think yeah. that's such an interesting thing. Oh, my God. And, and what's crazy with Calm is, like, they have famous people doing those. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a funded company. Like, there's a ton of money uh, yeah. with it. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but the same guy who created the Million Dollar Homepage in 2005, yeah. Alex Two, is the guy who created Calm, the app that is, like, taking on like meditation and mindfulness and you know, all this stuff. And I think that that juxtaposition is hilarious. Yeah. There, I saw there's a new sleep story in there from uh, John McEnroe of all people. Oh, nice. So I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm excited to Johnny, Johnny Mac can take you to sleep. All right. That's good. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. So things are going well on that front. Just going to take it, you know, day by day and not overdo it. I don't want to turn into one of the, I I, I don't want to turn into a hack person, you know, like, Oh, I'm hacking my sleep and, I'm doing 900 different things, you know. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Where it's like, it's so many things that you have to try and keep up with that you can't keep up with at all. Also, I will say, uh, I should actually say that also what helped me was just listening to, uh, I listened to a podcast with Peter Atia, hmm. and it's called The Drive. Interesting. And he had a sleep expert on, I can't recall his name, but he did a three-episode Matthew Walker is his name. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's the guy who wrote the book. He was on Joe Rogan, and that's kind of where everyone started to hear about him. Oh, I didn't even know that. But but anyway, Matthew Walker is seems to be a sleep expert, at least from what I could tell and what I was listening to. And he's got a three-part podcast on The Drive with Peter Atia that uh, they get, I mean, like that's a podcast. So Peter Atia is a doctor and he has people on that are very technical people. So it's a very technical podcast. Like they get deep into the weeds on topics, but I love it. Um, But anyway, I listened to that three-part series and that was, uh, what, what, what made that important to me was actually the dangers of poor sleep. Mm-hmm. It, this guy is like so adamant about this that it was like yeah. I've got to figure this out and I've got to make yeah. sure I'm yeah, getting it, good sleep. It leads to things like Alzheimer's yeah. and dementia yeah. and like there's like direct correlations. Yeah, I, I when we first started talking about this on on this podcast, like I'm now like I have a, a sleep mask in route from Amazon. Uh, you know, I'm nice. I the Calm app won't work for us because Caroline and I both. Although we could probably do it and it would be fine. But um, I'm actually I'm curious to just follow your trajectory. Like. Just do the sleep mask, see how that goes for a couple of weeks, see what the changes are, see if I can keep it on because I do toss and turn a ton. Um, so yeah, that'll be fun to see how that how that kind of goes and develops. What may help with the Calm app, um, and obviously, I mean, you can find plenty of alternatives. It doesn't have to be the Calm app, but they have a daily Calm mm-hmm. where it's like a 10-minute meditation. And then it just... It- and, and then just shuts off. Yeah. yeah. So, so, um, and it's on a different topic every single day. So I, I listen to that, but I listen to that during the day, Yeah. but that might be a good thing before yeah. sleep. You know, just I hope it's that. things like the mating habits of bees in this episode. No, we'll- the daily calm <laughs> is more like, you know, thinking about gratitude or thinking yeah, about, yeah, yeah. you know, just a bunch of different topics. But anyway, um, yeah, those two things have seemed to, uh, make a big difference. Cool. All right. Do you have anything else? That's it, man. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I will definitely queue up the the Ben and Jerry's Alec Baldwin conversation. That'll be fun to uh, to listen to. Um, yeah, this has been a good one. I'm I'm actually super excited about your updates. Uh, I'm excited to share 
our own updates about BASFA as it uh, kind of unveils. So we'll we'll have some you know recordings here before it actually goes live. But by the time everyone listens to this, it will have already happened. Time paradoxes, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, super fun to to share more about this stuff. I uh, hope everyone who's listening is getting a ton of value from these conversations as much as we are, because I think you and I are both inspired to like keep doing mm-hmm. things based on these calls. So uh, yeah, that's uh, I think that's it from our side until we uh, until we catch up again, my friend. 